Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Kevin Eikenberry is a world-renowned leadership expert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, consultant, trainer, coach, and he's the chief potential officer of the Kevin Eikenberry Group. He's the author, co-author, or contributor to a number of books, including the best-selling Remarkable Leadership, Unleashing Your Leadership Potential One Skill at a Time, and his latest, written with Wayne Termell, is The Long Distance Leader, and it's published by Barrett Kohler. Kevin, welcome to AMA Edgewise. Hey, I'm so glad to be with you, Dave. Unique subject matter of this book is very timely, and there are those rather unusual but important things that a leader who doesn't have a team sitting in physical proximity, the challenges that they face. So I'm going to jump right in here. When leading a remote team, how does leadership, how does it change, and what should not change in that type of mode? Well, let's start with what shouldn't change, and that is leadership is leadership, and people are people, and they have been for a very long time. We're not big fans of flavor of the month stuff. So a lot of what works in leading hasn't changed. However, Dave, the way we have to do it is changing as more of our people are dispersed. We have to think more intentionally about how we communicate. We have different tools that we have to mediate that communication. We have to coach differently. We have to set expectations more specifically. And we have to think a lot about how the interactions play between us and those team members Mm -hmm. and those team members and their peers, which might be sitting down the hall from me while that person isn't. I imagine when people hear about the topic of the book and they might look at a quick Amazon summary of it, they'll go, oh, yeah, I know. I know what he's going to talk about. In your experience, what are some of the less obvious challenges that are faced by leading a team or leading people in a remote environment? I think one of them is this, that, you know, we sort of ended up here. I don't think anyone necessarily intended that this is where we would be, but here we are and our teams are all spread out and dispersed. And one of the things that's different when your folks are away from you is that when they do interact with you, the conversations can become very transactional. You think about it. You have a phone call with someone who's your boss or a coworker and you know they're busy. So you get on the phone and say, hey, I don't want to take too much of your time. I want to take care of the business and we don't spend any time building the relationship like we would if we were walking down the hall or peeking in to someone's office or over someone's cubicle wall. And the other thing is that when we're out there working on our own, one of the things people think about is, are people getting anything done? And the reality is they're getting a lot done. They can be highly productive when working alone. Think about it this way. If you've ever worked on the week between Christmas and New Year's, you know how much you can get done when there's no distractions and there's no interruptions. But the thing is that when we're working alone, we become more siloed, more focused on our own work. We don't see the big picture anymore, and we can get very insulated and insular, and our work can become very self-focused. And it's the job of the leader to help people to continue to see the big picture and to see how their work fits in. So while they get a lot done, they may not be as nearly as successful in collaborating without the help of a leader who can coach and expect some of those behaviors. Kevin, in, the, in your response to my first question, you hinted at this other kind of unique thing that happens every now and then where some members of a team might be remote, but some might be sitting right next to the manager here. Does this type of split, does it create divisions among the team members? And, and if so, how can you alleviate those issues? Well, I hope it doesn't have to. We call that a hybrid team, right? We've got some people here and some people not. 
the reason I say I hope it doesn't is because that's the kind of team that I lead. And so I, I work really hard to make sure that doesn't happen. But here's what can be happening. The people in the office think that people working out at home or whatever have it all cush, right? They don't have to commute. They can work in their bunny slippers, et cetera. And the people out there are saying, well, we don't get any chances to work on projects because they think of the people who are in the office. You know, they're the ones that get to have the cake and the celebrations, okay. and they get sort of the preferential treatment because they're the people down the hall. So both groups can have some concerns about the other, and it's part of our job to make sure that we're making things very transparent, we're getting rid of any boundaries, and we're being very intentional to make sure that we're pulling in the people from the field or from their homes to be on project teams, and we're not dumping all of the work off on the people that are down the hall just because we happen to see them. Hey, Dave, can you take care of that for me? Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So mm -hmm. I think there's the chance for misunderstanding and misconceptions both ways. And the only way we solve it is if we as leaders are very intentional and we're making sure that we're helping the team be cohesive, even though they don't all work in the same place. Well, let's talk about how we can make that happen. I mean, what you're thinking on it are more rigid and fixed procedures or structures or protocols needed to keep everything running smoothly? Or is it more about freedom? I'm not a big fan of the word protocol or procedure, but I do think there are some expectations that we need to set to make things work better. I'll give you a specific example. When someone joins our team, whether they're going to work in this office or whether they're remote, it doesn't matter. One of the expectations that they have in their first two weeks on the job is that they will have a phone or preferably web conversation, webcast, video conference, conversation with every other person on the team. And of the expected 30-minute conversation, no more than 10 minutes of it can be about work. In other words, my expectation is that people are starting right away to get to know each other and be able to work together, knowing that right from the beginning that that's the goal and that's the expectation. So I'm just trying to be very clear about that right from the very start. A lot of new managers are challenged with what it takes to be a good manager, but pr probably a, a role that they didn't think about when they took on the mantle of manager is being a coach. Coaching an employee would seem to be very different in the situation you lay out in your book. Is there some advice you can offer to how to be a better coach for a virtual team? Yeah, we spend quite a bit of time talking about our role in how we support other people, including developing them and including coaching them. And so I think there's a couple of big things, Dave, that people ought to be thinking about. Number one is, and I've said a couple of these words already, but they have to be said again. We have to set really clear expectations with those team members who we don't see all of the time. So if we, the expectations are crystal clear, not only about what the work is and what the quality of the work needs to be, but also how we're going to do it. How will we communicate? How frequently will we have conversations? So the second thing I would say is that if we're coaching our team members who are remote from us, we have to be far more intentional. Mm -hmm. See, we want to be having ongoing conversation and dialogue with them, but it doesn't happen automatically because we don't see them in the hallway. Hey, can I chat with you for a minute? Right? So it becomes important that we're clear about setting up times for one-on-one -on -one calls so that the team members don't feel like we're checking up on them, but rather we're just checking in and we're making sure that we're available to them. So coaching always should be a much more organic and a much more frequent process than most people do. But when our team members are remote, that becomes even more important because in order for us to build connection with them and relationship with them and have a level of trust that will help make coaching successful, We've got to be very diligent in having ongoing dialogue. 
Kevin, with your with your patience, I'm going to say something that is bloody obvious, but I, it's a good place to start the next question, which is, you know, technology really is super critical. The enabling technology to this type of team works and especially how it's used. Does a team leader really need to become a master and go deep on the knowledge and the wisdom of the technology? A quick add-on question to that is, is, would it make sense for the technology being used to be, could it be more flexible or have different ways of being used by different people? I mean, again, what's your experience with this? So a couple of things. The research says, and our experience certainly says, that 80% of people use 20% of the available technology, which means that we've got tools we're paying for or have paid for that we're not using at all or using well. And if you want your team members to be using a technology, the number one factor that will get them to use it is if they see you as the boss using it. And so you've got to be modeling it well. Do I think that you need to know about the bits and the bytes and, you know, how much bandwidth we need and all that stuff? Not necessarily, but I think you need to know more than just how to sign in to some of these technologies, right? You've got to know where can we use them to make a difference? Do we know how to use the whiteboard so we can have the equivalent of a meeting that we would have face-to-face? Do we know how to use polling or get people to raise their hands? Do we know how to share screens or whether we should share files? Do we know some of these things? We need to know them if we want the technology we have to help us have more successful meetings, more successful collaboration, and just flat out more successful communication. Now, the second point about flexibility of technology, I'm going to take a slightly different take and say, I think that you already have a bunch of technology. Mm-hmm. You've got an instant message tool, you've got email, you've got a conference call line, you've got WebEx or its equivalent, you've got all these things. And I think the key for us as leaders and for us as teams is to get clear about when we're using which one. And notice I gave that long list, but I left out maybe the most important one. And that's the one you and I are using right now, which is the phone. <laughs> you know, I think the phone gets left out far too much. We try to do it with an email. And everyone that's listening has been on the email thread that's three, four, five long, and it's getting harder and more frustrating, and we're not getting anything accomplished. In our organization, you get to three emails, and I'm like, pick up the phone. Yeah. Let's get on the phone and talk about it. So yeah. I think our job as a leader is to help the team get clear about when we're going to use which technology so we can use them most effectively. You've got the technologies to do what you need. You may not know it because you may not know them well enough. But if you start to think with your team about what and how we need to communicate, and you have the knowledge of how the tools work, and there's certainly people like us that can help you figure that out, then you're heading in the right direction. It strikes me that, again, as with with everything else that is unusual about this way of organizing and running and managing a team with this type of model, is finding and hiring and retaining these people who are totally cool with this type of arrangement, and they're able to work successfully together while not physically being together. you mind sharing some observations or maybe some tips or advice on finding yeah. and retaining those, those right people? I think there's two or three things. And I think if you already know that the, that the job is going to be remote or it could be remote, that puts you in a much better position, right? If you're in the throes of moving that direction or you're going to hire someone and they might go out eventually, it's a little harder. But I would say this, if you have an expectation that they're going to work remotely or think that they might eventually, then you need to make that a part of the hiring conversation. You probably need to do some of the interviewing remotely so you get a sense of how they can manage the technology at least in the start and how comfortable they are with that and how successful they can be having a conversation over the phone, having a conversation using a webcam because they're gonna be doing it all the time later. So why wouldn't we make that part of our hiring protocol or process? I think that's important to think about. And the second thing is, you know, we just have to recognize that it will work better for some people than others. 
And so we want to attract the people for whom they can get excited about that. Now, on the retention side, the number one reason people leave a job, Dave, and it doesn't matter whether they work at the office or you know, near their boss or not, the number one reason people leave a job is they fire their boss. Hmm. And so that means that the leaders need to get even better if the team members are remote because the barriers to movement, if I'm working at home, are much lower, right? If I'm working at home and I'm working for you and a headhunter calls me to go work for somebody else and all I've got to do is change passwords to a new system, right, to take a new job, I don't have to change my commute. I don't have to change any of that stuff. So the barriers to movement are lower, which means that the responsibilities and expectations of leaders must grow if we're going to help retain those top people who are working at a distance. Okay, with a book on long-distance leadership, with extended conversations about enabling technology, with me being out in Peoria and you being in Indiana and somebody else being in Weehawken and somebody else being in Phoenix – a work-life balance comes into this whole thing. How do you address that issue, if it is an issue at all? First of all, you get bonus points for saying Weehawken. And second of all, it could be worse than Phoenix and Peoria and Indianapolis. We could have someone in Bangalore or someone in Paris. And so now we're making it even worse, right, as we go completely global. I think the big thing for leaders is that if we do some of the stuff we've been talking about and a lot of the things we talk about in the book, The leader doesn't have to just pedal harder to try to barely keep up. The work-life balance thing is a challenge for all leaders. When you've got folks spread out around the world or across multiple time zones, it's harder. You have to get clearer about how you want to work and how you want to interact with your team members. But I can tell you by having people on the West Coast being an East Coast time that I have to be flexible and sometimes they have to be flexible. So if we're talking about that, and sometimes we'll have a nine o'clock meeting that's a seven o'clock meeting for someone in mountain time zone, right? We're not going to have a nine o'clock meeting for people if they're going to have to be there at six, unless it's me when I'm traveling, right? But that's my call. So I think the challenge really is being clear about the work. And the thing that's different in the remote world is the when and how part. I think we have to be flexible and not make your outlier person always to have the tough early morning or late afternoon call. But we have to recognize that we have working hours as a leader and be clear with our team about that. If our team has to have us at their beck and call 24-7, there's other things we're doing wrong Mm -hmm. besides just having people work in a different time zone than us. Let's say somebody has just stepped into a management role, their manager for the first time. They're listening to this podcast, but they're going, oh, thank God I'm not leading a remote team. Oh my God, thank the, <laughs> thank the heavens I'm not leading. That's, that sounds impossible. What would you say to that person about why they should read this book? Well, because it's going to happen eventually, right? It's going to happen sooner than later is the first thing I would say. And even if you don't have it now, that time is probably going to come for you. Now, if you're leading a team on a shop floor in a manufacturing facility, maybe not now, but when you become a manufacturing manager and you've got four plants, here you are, right? So it's probably coming for you, number one. But the second thing I would say is that, you know, there's a whole lot of this book that's just really solid leadership principles, maybe stated in new ways. Not every paragraph is just about doing it remotely, right? We're always making the connection to that. But we've had a lot of people that have pre-read the book that have said, hey, this is just great leadership stuff, not just the remote stuff. So those would be the two reasons that I would give for people to go get a copy of The Long Distance Leader or go to longdistanceleaderbook.com forward slash podcast where they can get a sample chapter and some special bonuses for having listened to us today. 
And I would even argue, maybe even as a third reason or third answer or, or you know, answer 2A, because I'm not mm-hmm. you, I would say something like, you know what? Do you have a company-issued smartphone? You know what I mean? How often do you check your work email <laughs> when you're not here? You know, it's sort of like, yeah, 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 but you know what? We're sort of halfway there, aren't we? It's just recognizing this new reality, right? You're right. It is a new reality. And as my co-author says, the genie is not going back in the bottle. There have been a couple of organizations that have sort of famously brought people back in, but it's not as widespread as people think. And I think what's happening now is if organizations will get smarter, Dave, on the front end about this and think about how to implement it, they can have a lot more success. A lot of the challenges are we did all this and now we don't know what to do with it and it's not working and we've not equipped our leaders or our team members to be successful working this way. We've been speaking to Kevin Eikenberry. He's co-author, along with Wayne Termel, of a terrific new book you have to check out called The Long Distance Leader, published by Barrett Kohler. Kevin, awesome stuff. Good luck with the book. Thanks so much. Happy to be with you. AMA webinars give you 90 minutes of focused how-to instruction and specific solutions to help you solve your most pressing work issues. Find tactical, practical courses on building work relationships, polishing your spreadsheet skills, managing your team to meet company goals, and more on our events calendar at amanet.org forward slash events. We take feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. 